How we doing? How's that sound? Echoey. Good. Better. There we go. Um, I usually hide behind a uh, microphone and podium, but I said next time I do this, I'm going to venture out here into uh, unknown territory for me and wear the wireless mic and come a little closer. So I'm doing that tonight. Um, good news and bad news for you. You've realized now if you came to see um, <laughs> Mike Bivens, I'm not Mike Bivens, unless you don't know that. Now you know that. The good news is, if you came to hear Mike, I'm Mike Ohl. <laughs> so you get to hear me tonight, but not the other Mike. But they'll be back. They're in New York City, so just ask you to lift them up while they're uh, traveling. And my hope is, when we get done, that this will be encouraging for everyone. So if not, I was not successful. I think you'll leave here. Uh, I think you'll leave encouraged tonight, and also hope that we can be interactive a little bit. So, hopefully, that maybe makes you a little bit nervous, and if it does, then that means I'm not the only nervous person in the room. Mm -hmm. So it makes me feel more comfortable. So I hate to put you in that position, but I don't like being nervous alone. So I'm going to ask you to be a little bit interactive with me tonight as we talk. And we're going to read some scripture in a little bit. But I want to get our, our time started with, um, I'm going to talk about brands and image. And so this is where I want us to be a little bit interactive. And just to think about when I say those words, brands, what are some brands and if you've looked at my notes a little bit, you don't get to, you don't get to cheat. If you're Jordan, you're <laughs> <Ryan>. <laughs> But when I say brands, did any, did any particular brand pop into your, your noggin? Nike. 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 Old Navy. Old Navy. Jordan. Jordan. Starbucks. You! Coke. Kellogg brand. Kellogg brand. Crystals. Crystals. So we're hearing all, what I'm hearing is all pretty good bands. Do you hear? Did anybody think Vineyard Vines? Did anybody have negative? Did anybody go negative? Anybody think of a negative brand? When I say give me a negative brand, what do you think? I think of the Yugo. What? Wasn't that the name of the car? Yeah. Yeah, sure on it, Yugo. Yeah, Yugo. There's a lot of young people here. I don't even know. BP. BP? From the... Right. They had a lot of brand image work to do after after that. What else? Any other thoughts? Y'all are doing good, by the way. I already feel more comfortable. How are you guys? Okay. <laughs> I know you wouldn't tell me otherwise, but... All right, so here's a little, not David Letterman, top ten, but there's the top five most powerful brands on the planet. Number five, Microsoft. Number four, 
IBM. Number three, number three this year <coughs> took a fall, big fall. You think, well, wherever they were at to number three can't be that big, but they were number one for 13 years in a row. Any guesses on that? Apple. Not Apple. The other one. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola held the number one spot for 13 years in a row. I was surprised at that. I didn't. When I started thinking about brands, I thought about Coca-Cola, but not that they were the number one brand on the planet for 13 years. That's pretty strong, pretty good run. But now they're down to number three. So, top two. Anybody want to take a stab? Top two brands. Apple is number one. Number two is Google. Google and Apple. The second most powerful brand on the planet. So that's the end of that. That was just kind of a time to loosen up, get you involved, start thinking a little bit. But I do want to play another quick little game to uh, we're not coming back to brand in that in that in that format again, but I wanted to get you, get you thinking. I thought that was pretty interesting. We're going to play a little word association now. So I'm going to give you a word, and uh, I just want you to think about how you would define that if I walked up to you on the street and said, what is blank? Okay, so think about how you would define it. So this kind of ties to a brand, so you were going to hear a word, and you're going to have some thoughts, either positive or negative, and, and a definition probably pretty clearly to define that. So, American. Hmm? Just the word American. Just, if I asked you what is an American, you would say... Obese? <laughs> no, so here's the example. If I... If I say American, and you ask me that, honestly, I'd say that's someone who lives in America, right? American. So how about Olympian? There we go. How about comedian? How about physician? How about musician? Good. Last one. How about Christian? Me. Uh-oh. Not as clear. Some of those other terms I was naming out after we got started, y'all were... So what are some thoughts you had around Christian? Christ. Christ. Christ-like. Christ-like. Did anybody think um, church-goer? Yeah. Did that pop into anybody's mind? Did someone that's been baptized pop into your mind? We're thinking about how, if somebody asked you what is a Christian, how you would define that, or did particular denomination pop into your mind? Worship style, particular denomination, 
baptized, not baptized, how you're baptized, churched, not churched. Believer, follower, any other words? Bible. Lover. Lover. Lover of Jesus. Lover of Jesus. Grace. Grace. I wanted to go through that just because in thinking of Christian, it's pretty broad. It can be. Um, we had some really good answers, which is really encouraging. If you begin to ask folks out in the culture where we live, it's a little confusing as to what a Christian is. So I want to spend a little bit of time digging into that, sharing you some information about what other folks, how they think about the brand or label of Christian. Uh, in two groups, we're going to look at outsiders, I'll call them outsiders, and insiders. Outsiders, those being outside the Christian faith, uh, atheists, agnostics, other religions, um, the unchurched. So I'm going to take a look at that, and then we'll look at insiders, those that we would, we would call brothers and sisters. So here's some, here's some info for you. Outsiders. Um, what I would say to that is that to outsiders, Christians have become more known for what we oppose. Um, those outsiders with a negative view of Christianity, so this is, a, I'm going to give you a percentage, but this was outsiders with a negative view of Christianity. In 1996, 15%. By the way, I didn't do this research. Who did? Mary Catherine? <laughs> Mary Catherine did not do this research. But this is some information I got through Barna Group. If you're not familiar with Barna Group, it's really insightful on a lot of topics, but I really like the stuff they do about our culture and really gets you thinking about how we're perceived. We Christians are perceived in, in our culture. So I'll give that credit. Just a little footnote there. Barna Group and... Uh, you can go out on the website, the World Wide Web, and find information uh, from them. But uh, so negative view, 1996, from outsiders was 15%. 2007, that number had grown to 38%. And that 38% uh, represented 24 million people. 24 million people. So Christians have become more known for what we oppose. So, in the research, in the study they did when they um, surveyed the outsiders, these were the, the terms that came back to describe Christian. So, if I gave them the question, Christian, the answers were much different than, than I collected from the sampling we got in here. Judgmental. Hypocritical. Old-fashioned. Too political. Out of touch. Insensitive, boring, not accepting, confusing. 
That makes me angry. That's upsetting to me. I don't know how you guys feel as I read down that list, but based on the answers you gave me, it's really insulting. The bad news in that is that um, our values and what we think and believe form our attitudes, form our behaviors, values, attitudes, behaviors. What people think becomes their reality. And so whether I agree with this information or not, the sad news is that 24 million people have this brand image of our faith. That's upsetting. So they think few believe, few in that group believe that respect, love, hope, and trust describe Christianity. And even fewer believe um, that these traits, faith, hope, love, trust, are even genuine and real when they are displayed. So kind of compartmentalize that, if you will, for a minute. Let's table that. That's just information I'm giving you about outsiders. So let's go to insiders. I'm going to present the information a little bit different from insiders, more so with the actions of insiders being those inside the church, more so than uh, the words I just used to describe uh, outsiders. But here's some numbers for insiders looking at actions. So churched folk, church folk, that's a minimum of one visit per month. Minimum of one visit per month um, are considered churched. In um, 1990, that number was 70% of the American population. 70%, 1990. 2000, 67%. 2014, 57%. So somewhere based on that number, is a disconnect of the insider's view of what's going on in the church. So of that 57%, so 43% now are unchurched today, 33%, 43 unchurched, 33% are what categorized as de-churched. Once were regular churchgoers, now have disconnected. And so I think that ties into what our heart and mission is here. If you're here regularly, you hear uh, Mike and Debbie and all of us really talk about how do we engage that, that group, you know, here in our populations. It's folks that have checked the box, that box that I believe, but they've just disengaged from, from the culture, from the community of, of uh, living out the faith. So we talk a lot about that number, but it's a big number in our, in our population, 33% of um, that 43% are, are de-churched. So the reasons why they say they're leaving. Top two reasons were they felt like the church offered little perceived value in the community, little perceived value and offered little personal impact. Now I don't know which one makes me angrier. <laughs> what the outsiders think 
or the folks disengaging from our from our faith. Uh, because really, what we would want the reasons to be. I mean, if we were encouraging someone to walk along with us and take this journey together, we would we would say, we we have a value we offer to our society and and to you as a person, personal impact. But folks leaving are saying neither one of those. Um, so they say what they're looking for is to experience God and to experience personal change. What they're looking for is to experience God and to experience personal change. And so I thought about those two categories, the reasons why they were leaving. So they're saying that they don't perceive really any difference between those folks they find in the church with faith versus those they find out of church without faith, which is upsetting to me. And then, so I try to say, well, what are, you, what are they looking for? They're looking to experience God, and they're looking for a personal impact. And to me, that describes faith. We would describe that by faith. That if, um, I don't know how you guys would describe define faith as we define it, but a, a piece of that would be experiencing God and experiencing uh, a personal impact through that. That would be my faith realized. Um, so again, what we have to remember in both of those groups, whether we agree with their thought process or not, what they believe and what they're saying and what they're doing is actually their reality. So then the question that I came up with after reading that information is how do we learn and teach one another to experience our faith, to share our faith? How do we learn and teach each other to do that? That was a question I came up with uh, to ponder. When I say that, how do we learn and teach one another? Do you think of another word? We're back to word association again. I gave you the definition, but you might think of a word. I like that word. It's Hebrews 10.25. It's one of my words. Stir it up. Spur them on. Disciple. So let's go to Acts. Here's where we get in some scripture. You're waiting on that? It's like, see, just going to talk about statistics or... Acts 11. What'd you say? Authentic. Don't worry about it. Authentic. Yeah. Cool. Real. Being real, being authentic, discipling. Disciple was the word that, that um, came to me. So we're going to read Acts 11, 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, 
preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for um, Tarsus, to seek Saul, who we now know as Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So I want to take your thought process now to the origin. So you think about Christians. I'm going to ask you kind of to, all that information I gave you, just kind of set that aside and not, not to be a stumbling block for you, not to discourage you, but I just wanted to give it to you to stir your thinking. But I'm going to ask you now to, to kind of focus in on this word, discipling and disciples. And I think it's interesting that the word Christian didn't even resonate or begin with those amongst the group that were following Jesus. They called each other's disciples. And other people didn't know how to react to the Jesus freaks that were out making a difference in the community and bringing personal impact to those in their circles. They didn't know really how to even describe that group so they labeled them as Christians. Um, but the, those followers themselves, they, they referred to each other as disciples. So I thought that was interesting to think about. So we talked about disciples just a second ago, but in, in definition, disciple, learner, student, pupil, follower, all those words define and and uh, characterize a disciple. And here's what a disciple does. A disciple asks for direction. A disciple asks for direction. Now here's the hard part. My wife calls this a life-changing yes. The power of a life-changing yes. A disciple also, before they ask that for that direction, has given a yes. If you truly believe you're living life with someone that you want to learn from and receive from and share from or reciprocate that, then your yes would already be on the table. So that's something to think about. If I ask and trust you and live life with you and ask you for direction, the hard part is before you've responded and given me that direction, my yes is out there. So think about that. So I feel like discipling relationships, 
discipling relationships is where we talked about BP was brought up and, and they had to do a, a lot of work to repair their image. A lot of money spent, I'm sure, but a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising. Um, I'm not suggesting that's what Christianity needs. By the information, <laughs> or needs to do, uh, by the information, we could agree that we don't like some of the things that people think about our faith. And so we'd like to change that. What I'm suggesting is that we keep doing what we're doing and living in the way that you guys responded, and that's by individually forming discipling relationships with one another and others in that population, that number of uh, de-churched folks is get them back in the game. And I would suggest we can do that individually, one-on-one. -on -one. That, okay, going to one, one church service for an hour a month, you may or may not be experiencing God in that and you may not be receiving a personal impact, but that is not define what Christianity is about. Let me show you something's a little different. Anybody in here in the last month had an experience with God? Or been personally impacted with God? I would say probably a high percentage. It's happening. We know it's happening. What I'm encouraging you to do is to find somebody to share that with in your circle. God's provided you a circle of folks on purpose for a reason to share that with. And I'm saying that uh, to a group that's already doing that. But again, I, I say that because I want to encourage you. Uh, two more sections of Scripture I wanted to look at. Uh, who was here last week? Unfortunately, I was not. But we were in Alabama. I don't regret we were in Alabama. Uh, we had a good time with Mary Catherine's grandmother and Joseph and Catherine's great-grandmother. She celebrated 89 years. So it was a good, worthwhile trip to go celebrate that with her. But um, we'll put you guys on the spot again. What did you take away from last week's experience? Because before you answer, what I was going to say is our focus in creating discipling relationships and being encouraged in that and something to focus on um, was two things. One being, we have to remember who we are. We have to remember who we are. And I know you guys spent your time last week talking about who we are. Anybody like to share a takeaway from that experience? Kind of putting it on the spot here for a second. But. Bruce. Mike just solidified so Yeah. 
That's exactly what I was going to follow up what you were saying with. I mean, we just, as a group of followers and being uh, filled with faith, we really, truly can't meet and gather enough, whether it's in one-on-one -on -one situations, if it's corporately. Gang, we can't meet enough to spill a, I just told him, I just sounded like Mike, gang. Um, you guys had a flashback too, you thought he was here. Wait. Um, folks. But uh, we can't do it. How, how many messages are we getting from the world and from the enemy about everything that, if you were here last week, everything that you didn't hear last week of all the other things of how inadequate, um, undeserving those messages from the world were inundated with it through advertising of things of brands that want us to go and buy those brands because it's going to make us smarter, um, better, thinner, bigger, faster, happier, hogwash. Less wrinkly. <laughs> Less wrinkly. And some of those products work, but... Um, Not for that a plug? <laughs> But we can't meet enough um, to help each other remember and be encouraged in who we are. But didn't, what last week, what I was told last week was, was um, instruction. It very specific, and I think how you said discipling, you get instruction from someone else to take guidance. And that's what, that's what it appeared, what I heard from people said they took instruction and were able then immediately to disciple and give, and not because they were had done anything right or wrong that day or been perfect or felt called to before they even walked in the ring. No one knew what they were coming into. With, with simple instruction, they were able to disciple each other. And I think that, I think that's really special. Because they have within them a spirit of God, and with given some instruction and taught, they're able to minister to each other. Yeah. And they couldn't have secondhand Jesus. They were engaging for themselves. We were engaging for ourselves. Oh, that's cool. That's what I heard. It was great fun. Empowered. I love that because I mean a lot of churches aren't willing to step into that awkwardness of helping assist everyone to engage them for themselves. Um, yeah, I'm not asking you to show your hands. I just hope it, that if you <coughs> are a believer, I hope that you would raise your hand and if I ask you the question to respond, do you feel adequate and empowered enough to disciple. You know, I would. That's where we got to get to because that's the intent. That's that's God's purpose for us is to disciple one another. So we, in believing who we are, ambassadors for Christ, right? Defenders of the faith, um, righteous, holy. If we don't, values. So we can look and point fingers at the other folks, but then we have to look in the mirror and say, if I'm not living it out, then what do I really believe? And so we, then we have to reach out to one another. Because nobody on the outside is going to help us correct that. We have to reach out to one another and say, hey, I'm struggling here in my belief because of X, Y, and Z, or maybe don't even know why. 
but it's our job as a faith family to bring us all into that understanding and position of being able to work out of that. So to focus on who we are. And uh, last, uh, not yesterday, but last Friday, had a great conversation with a, a group of guys. You may have looked at this verse. I'm not sure how last weekend flowed and how many scriptures we, you read through. And, but the scripture I had a great conversation around last week was in Matthew 5, 14, and 16. And it says uh, that we are the light. That's God speaking, that we are the light. And we are set upon a hill. And so to, to have that vision as to who we are. And then uh, in closing, looking at the second component, so focusing on our discipling relationships is focused on who we are and then focus on uh, one thing, to do one thing. And we're a month out from Easter, if I looked at the calendar right, I hope so. I'll, I'll leave it generalized. Close to a month from Easter. And the scripture I want to look at is John 13. Would you find that? And down in verse 34. So, Holy Week is that week and I'm sure we've been doing a Thursday night service. It would be called Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday. Monday being mandate. So I thought it was timely as we start focusing towards Easter and the celebration uh, and, uh, and thinking about that time and what it means is to go to that scene on that Thursday night when the, the Monday was instituted, the mandate, and that's the one thing. But it's found in John 13, 34 through 35. Last Supper, Upper Room. They're finishing up. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all, all, by this, all, will know that you are my disciples. You are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Not works. Not works. Um, who we are and to focus on one thing. And as he shared that, he had just finished modeling that Ultimately, um, and a lot of folks, I don't know, maybe it's something for consideration. Maybe a little, we're outside the box. This may be a little more outside the box. But Jesus modeled this a little earlier in that section. Let me see. I'm just going to skim through some verses here, kind of set the setting. But So backing up from the commandment, they're gathered in upper room. Now before the feast of the Passover, I'm reading through John 13. I'm going to read fast and kind of skip around. But <clears throat> now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, 
that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Um, And so Jesus rises from supper, lays aside his garments, takes a towel, girds himself, and after that he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he, is, he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. I'm talking about Judas. Um, so then, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash, wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than who he sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, So I know that would be, if you can just imagine that with me. So I know, I know if I pull it out from underneath, I won't mention this to Mike, but a basin for us to share in that, um, that would stretch me. I mean, it would take me outside of my comfort zone. But if we can just use it symbolically to think about really serving one another in that fashion, <clears throat> that we would... Uh, and Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. But in that moment, in that time, knowing he's nearing what he's nearing, that he would take on the ultimate example of servanthood and discipleship and model it before he speaks the words, love one another. So that's what I wanted to, to share with you tonight. And um, speaking of the Last Supper and Monday, Thursday, and um, communion, we have um, the elements, the bread, and the juice to share together. And uh, Pop's going to come back up and uh, lead us in worship. Um, we're going to be able to uh, partake in communion together. And before Pop starts to play, I'd like to uh, just kind of close us in prayer. And then Pop can uh, lead us in worship as we close. And as you feel led, just participate with one another in, in communion. <clears throat>